He's wonderful. It is of contemporaneous relevance. Yeah. You stop saying contemporaneous. You've used that on consecutive podcasts now. We know you're an intelligent man. You don't need to keep trying to prove it. Would you like Robbie Savage? Tell okay. me, tell me, tell me a different word that suits that. Anti-establishmentarianismist. <laughs> Stick that in. <laughs> it has no relevance whatsoever. So it had to, did it? Still a big long word that no one understands. I was hoping it would be mm. a word that well, would no, be used. I mean, people understand anti-establishmentarianism. Ist. Ist. <laughs> Which obviously isn't well, you, a word. That isn't a word. So no one understands that. It is. That. It's a person who no, that's displays. An, <laughs> no, that is... <laughs> that, is, <laughs> anti, that would be anti-disestablishmentarianist. So Chinch, tell us about your granddaughter. Oh, Primrose, she's wonderful. Absolutely. It's very stressful, though. It's more stressful being a grandparent than a parent, I think. Incorrect. <laughs> no. Well, you've not experienced it yet. You're building your part a little bit there, Rory. You have no idea. Yes. So how can you Have say either? that when it hasn't happened to you yet? So I thought the grandparents were the ones who got to all the fun stuff and got to be kind of the good guys and the parents had to discipline the children. I thought that was uncles. Uncles and aunts get to be the good guys. But uncles and aunts can be creepy. Let's not forget that. <laughs> right, okay. Creepy. Well, the example of the people around the table, I hope that's not the case. Creepy uncle is a thing. Creepy uncle? Creepy granddad, probably. I have got, no, quite, no. I have got quite a few nieces and nephews. What are you trying to tell me? Not saying you, I'm not saying that you are the creepy uncle. Uh, I'm saying that there is, there is always... terrified of you. There is always one. Your insightful wit. Anyway, Primrose, Primrose is okay. She's all okay. Primrose, middle name. Primrose is going to be Primrose Nicola Alice Joan Hinchcliffe. What? Because. No, it's not. It is. That's that the Joan that... and Alice are something to do with the family that I don't really care too much about. <laughs> but that's why those two names have been crowbarred in. So it was meant to be just Primrose Nicola, but they've crowbarred in because she was born on some other person's birthday that, that's died or something. So that's why... Jones in there, but it's sitting outside the doors when the baby's being. But being in there when you—it's your own child. You're in there, aren't you? You know the muck and bullets. You're seeing what's going on. <laughs> but when, <laughs> but when, literally what? muck and bullets. But, but when you're outside the doors and you're hearing what's going on, and it's you're waiting for that first cry. It was more. Str- and apparently, one of the midwives walked past me. I said hello to her. She walked back into the delivery suite. And then when eventually I was allowed in, Carly said to me, oh, the midwife said to us, there's some weird guy sat outside waiting for the baby. <laughs> See? Creepy granddad. Some weird guy. I said, well, did you tell them who, who, who I was? And they went, no, no, we just let them. Why would I be sitting outside a delivery room? What kind of man would I be? Maybe by, a fucking bullets fan. By, <laughs> by tell them who, who you were, do you mean... He's he's the granddad, or do you mean he's seven time in the international? Well, that obviously got mentioned. No, but is he's oh no, he's yeah, he's the grand. They didn't mention it. They just said hmm, no idea. Should we not be more concerned here that uh, somebody in the maternity unit at the hospital <laughs> spotted a weird-looking guy sat outside the <laughs> delivery room and he wasn't removed? Yeah, just, that's just the point. Just mention yeah, it in yeah. passing. No security called or anything. I but thought you could, what, what changed did Carly ch- I mean I'm not surprised Carly changed her mind but I thought you had a ticket for the gallery view. yes we did but it's the speed of everything maybe caught her out a little bit and then when it came to the crunch it's alright talking about these things before they happen I presume but then when it all starts kicking off maybe you just want your mum in there and you don't really want some weird guy you'd rather him sit out in the corridor can I, can I just, uh, just draw attention to the football like metaphors that Chinch is using comes to the crunch when it's all <laughs> kicking off comes you're, to the you're talking about the birth metaphor. of a beautiful young baby girl the cr- comes to the crunch is not a football term is it Nicky dot in their early doors <laughs> yeah yeah it's been a third man run <laughs> the midwife dropped deep anyway no 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 it's lovely it was Did amazing you, have you yet been able to make representation on your tactics board of this exciting birth actually that is a good point I don't really want to ask Carly that what really went on, though, because 
you don't really need to know. Well, that, at some at mm. some some point, you'll be able to ask how successfully the baby navigated the channel. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, kind to of... <laughs> set piece many the podcast where four friends talk football over food. We are at Rory's today, which is fully baby ready. Uh, ooh, is that is that at all true, health and safety wise? Probably physically, maybe not psychologically. You've got, yeah. I just know, you've got the buggy, though. We have a buggy, yeah. The second buggy's hand. ready. Goodness me, that looks sparkling in yeah. here, That looks expensive. It? Uh, second hand, so it wasn't. Wow. Mm. It was actually, it's actually two different buggies uh, joined together like those cars. A cut and shut buggy? It's not really. A it's cut not and shut buggy? It's not. That's a has joke. It, has it got no. a sidecar running alongside it? I'd love a sidecar. <laughs> uh, and while we wait for Rory to become a daddy, as we mentioned, Chinch has become a granddad. Woohoo! So congratulations, forthcoming, no doubt, via all social media and mm. official contact channels 48. to Andrew Hinchcliffe. 48, a grandfather. 48 What's a grandfather. going on? Far too tattoos, young. shouldn't he? No, but you're, you're young enough to enjoy it now, you see. Am I? Yeah, yeah. What, for Portugal? Or to be relied upon massively. This is, that's, yes. Yes, I Have see what my decided, was decided, by the be. way, just before, hmm. do you want to be a granddad, grandfather? Apparently. I be grandy. <laughs> I like what you've done there. Uh, I like what you've done. Apparently I'm grandpops. 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 Well, that adds at least 20 years to your age. Because the problem is, you see, Nikki's going to be now nanny, whereas her mum was nanny. Now she's going to be grand-nanny. Nikki's na- it's very confusing. The poor child's not going to know who we are. Anyway, I'm sitting with Randy. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling my three-year-old George about this because he already calls Andy Mandy. So the segue towards Grandy will be no problem. I told you about our, our trainer in Portugal Mandy. calls me Mandy because he thinks I'm so effeminate in the gym. He knows I'm called Andy, but he calls me Mandy. Still to this day, Quite two right. years down the line. Quite right. I am picking up the food that has become available to us uh, here at um, at Roy's house, and they are sensationally uh, described as extremely chocolatey caramels. And um, owing to the fact that they are, according to Rory, extremely chewy chocolatey mm. caramels, they have been enjoyed prior to recording. And if anybody delves into these during recording, you will know very quickly because they will not be heard of, or alternatively, if they are heard of, it'll be the most unfortunate noise and those people and we've had comments to this effect before who suffer from something called misophonia that is the affliction of those who cannot stand the sound of people eating this bag is basically a bag of misophonia so we will not engage with the chocolate caramels can I just make a a point I don't want people to think that I've just invited you around and, and only got sweets because I know that I have a reputation for this. And basically, most of my most of my larder is is chocolate goods. We are having food afterwards. We will have. Is it it's just it's not an it's hour. More significant. It's food an later. inconvenient hour to eat. I've already had breakfast. I've been up since seven. Chinch has been up basically for the last four days. <laughs> <laughs> so he's eating when he can. So what he just, can. He's on a very much a hands Get your hands off situation. them, by the way. Just told you not. Why to. Can, I, can I have one? No, you can't have one until later. Oh. Have you been like Partridge over the last few days, by the way, only eating food that you can purchase in a petrol station? <laughs> That's it. Basically, I've gone from petrol station to petrol station, um, eating Ginsters. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's remind you of the team, shall we, on Set Piece Menu. I'm Hugh Ferris, currently sleeping very well. That's Steve Wyeth, hopefully over the worst of the nights of no sleep. Over Hello. there is Andy Hinchcliffe, who will have to volunteer for the night shift from now on. And Rory Smith is preparing to not have a full night's sleep for a number of months uh, years, yeah. years, years hereafter. Yeah, yeah. 15. Forever, basically. Yeah. If you'd like to get in touch, at setpiecemenu and setpiecemenu at gmail.com, Twitter and email, respectively. Many did after our previous pod on segregation. Lots of lovely feedback. Thank you very much, Steve. Please do go and have a listen if you haven't already. And thank you once again for your iTunes reviews. Even those ones complaining about those who suffer with misophonia, we will be much more sensitive to it, I promise, in the future. Uh, we now have, as well as noted by Steve, our social media expert, one 1,000 Twitter followers. 
So that is um, um, it's a milestone. A milestone to get us to within 155th of Rory Smith's current tally. Or have you got more than that? 155,000? 161. 161th. Who's counting? Who's counting? <laughs> right then, to the subject for today's pod. Crystal Palace have set a particularly ignominious record of being the first team to not score a single goal in their first six league games of the season. Their latest defeat, uh, 5-0 at Manchester City, who have become the first team to score five or more goals in three consecutive top flight matches for nearly 60 years. 16 goals in those three for Manchester City. Manchester United have won 4 nil three times already Chelsea and Liverpool have registered similar victories while apart from Leicester and Arsenal no team outside the top six have managed more than a goal a game on average we wanted to talk today about the polarizing of the Premier League and ask if it specifically in this moment might have something to do with the dearth of quality strikers whether the best teams are hogging the relatively few that are around so is it because of that is it something else and why is there such a big gap between the have and the haves nots this isn't just restricted to the Premier League by the way I've seen a lot of Borussia Dortmund last in the last few weeks and they scored 14 goals in a week in just three games so a similar thing is happening elsewhere in Europe as well and there is this growing sense that although there's wonderful it's not just goal scorers is it there's wonderful attacking players out there entertaining us on a week by week basis the concentration of those players is seemingly on seemingly on an decreasing number of clubs Mm. and and not only does that mean that we're getting these crazy situations where yeah brilliant Manchester City Manchester United and and elsewhere the likes of Borussia Dortmund are scoring huge numbers of goals they're almost doing it effortlessly I've not got the sense from watching United City Dortmund in recent weeks that they are absolutely at the peak of their powers they are teams that are clicking into gear and hammering their opponents on an occasional basis they're scoring four, five or six goals routinely. And whilst that's great for fans of those clubs, it's not it's not great for the competition as a whole, is it? Yeah, it struck, it struck me the last few weeks that I, and in fact, it's one of those things that as a journalist, I probably should should do something about. But I'd love to know whether sort of three nil or, th- or three goal, four goal, five goal victories are becoming more common. Does they certainly seem to be? And that that's a dangerous way to think because often there's lots of heuristics and lots of biases and all this... All these fancy words that I, I don't fully understand that you can <laughs> sound kind of, liar can kind of that you can bring into play and think oh yeah you know things aren't what they used to be but there, there does seem to be a, a trend and as Steve says it is it is over Europe where the big teams now regularly are swatting the smaller teams aside and it struck me I thought I think Chelsea Stoke was was a really good example of you know Chelsea just sort of going and winning you know scoring in the first two minutes then kind of just swatting Stoke aside I know I know Stoke had injury problems and what have you. But you, yeah, I think the root of it brings together a lot of the stuff we've talked about quite frequently. So St- as Steve says, there's lots of attacking players all gathered at one, at, at a handful of clubs. That then means that those attacking players aren't at smaller clubs, so the smaller clubs are losing mm. talent. There's a lack of um, defensive players coming through academies, which means that although there are still lots of good defenders out there, there's not that many top-class defenders. Those defenders are also at the bigger clubs, which means that the smaller clubs are being stripped gradually, even of the ability to resist. And what you get is this kind of concentration of talent that slowly but surely is kind of eroding competition. It's the Barcelona, it's the La Ligafication La of all of football, where the big teams turn up, win four or five nil, 
and the little teams kind of compete to finish eighth or not get relegated or whatever they're competing for. Uh, and the, the, there's a big issue over whether anybody cares because the fans of the big clubs seem to now demand four or five nil wins every week. If they don't win comfortably, it, 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 does seem, it does seem to go about the conversation we had about the most important position on the field. We talk, Most people look at centre-forwards and think, is it all important to have a great centre-forward? If Aguero played for Crystal Palace, would they suddenly be doing a lot better? It's not as straightforward as that. It is the creativity, having four or five of these attacking players. But it's a really interesting point you make about defending. Because I watched that City game against Crystal Palace and the ease with which City scored either Palace had given up or some of the defending was so appalling that it was just too easy. In the Watford game, when City won 6-0, City were brilliant going forward, but some of the defending was absolutely... Po- it has to be a combination of the two, mm. but it's you're absolutely right. All those top defenders are now playing for the top clubs, so when they're in the Champions League, they'll need those defenders a lot more than they will in the Premier League, and they're not playing for the clubs that when they play the top six, they're going to have to defend for their lives, and if they're simply not good enough eventually they will get overrun. But we see it in the Champions League as well, don't we? That The first round of Champions League group games, there were loads of 4-0s, 5-0s. I was at PSG, at Celtic, to watch PS, watching PSG just, just swap them aside. And yeah, PSG, that, that wasn't a night. You weren't sat at Celtic Park thinking, this is just PSG at their... Abs- no. They're absolutely at 100% tonight. No, they, they were... They passed it around for 15 minutes. Adrian Rabio was amazing. They scored once. They scored two more goals really quickly. Then they switched off. They didn't need to play for 90 minutes. It wasn't a sort of all-time performance. So how, how near they could be talking 60, 70% and they're scoring four or five? Yes. Against Celtic. And then Ro- Brendan Rodgers came out and, you know, Brendan Rodgers splits opinion. I think that's fair to say. And sort of said, oh, we, we played like under 12s in the first half. And did he, he attributed agency and fault to his, his team. And mm. that's, that's actually quite honourable because he could have said, these are just too good. Doesn't, we can't live with them. That's, you know, we didn't have, there's nothing we could do. He tried to take responsibility for the for the defeat upon his own players, and I was sort of sat there thinking, well, not, to be honest, Brendan, not really. They they did give the ball away too much, but PSG are just a lot better at football than them. So what you've got is in the Premier League, you have, well, th- thankfully Liverpool can't defend, so they don't win. They score a lot of goals, but they don't win games easily because they're always giving the opponents two or three goals, which I think is really nice of them. But you have United... <laughs> sporting. Very sporting. It's for the, for the neutrals. Yeah, it helps this conversation flow a lot better Absolutely. when you haven't got everybody winning four exactly. and five nil. But if you have... Yeah, in fact, they're, they're sort of almost creating an argument against the point yes, we're trying to make. they're the exception to the rule. They are the exception. So that's, that's why they put Mignolet in the team, exactly. to make it more yeah. exciting for the, the neutral. Ah, the, I get it now, yeah. Although, funny if I do have an... It's kind of tangential, and it might even be a different subject. To me... The thing with Liverpool's defence is, is is a function of the same trend, which is that Liverpool concede goals. I don't want to talk about this at length now. It's not a fully formed thought. But part of the problem with Liverpool is not to do with Klopp. It's to do. It's been systemic for years. Liverpool have conceded at set-pieces for years and years and years. They've had bad defences. Julian Benitez made them better by having a more defensive approach, but they were they defended badly under Rodgers, under Dalglish, under Roy Evans, at times under Benitez and Julian. It's to do with the resources available to them. Liverpool cannot go and buy the very top quality central defenders that the other teams have because they're not quite at the right financial level, which means that they are always going to be more vulnerable, but they have to play an attacking style because they're one of the big clubs. So they leave their their defence, which is comprised of slightly lower quality players to, say, Man United or Man City, exposed more often. That, I think, is is the problem. But I don't want to go into into that Mm -hmm. in depth. Yes, we're at the other end of the field. We're talking about uh, up front. But there's there's also an element within that of focusing on, on attacking. But if you look at England, you have five, four or five teams who are perfectly capable of, in fact, pro- probably six teams, perfectly capable of going out and smashing a Crystal Palace, a Watford, a, 
uh, a Burnley, a Huddersfield by four or five, mm-hmm. pretty much every week. You have the same in Italy where Juve and Nap- Napoli increasingly look like they can do that. Obviously in Spain, you've got three teams who can do it. In Germany, you've got Bayern and Dortmund. And in the Champions League, you have all those teams, sort of 16 yeah. teams from the big countries, against in, initially against 16 teams from smaller countries, who are also smashing them. So we are seeing increasingly this two-tier game. Mm. And I guess the question is, we, the two questions are, why has it come about? And the other one is, what does it mean? Napoli, at least, are doing it through continuity yes. of players. And that is the approach that Tottenham appear to be taking yeah. in the Premier League. They have not to the same effect as, as yet, but increasingly so. They, they seem to be benefiting from not disrupting their squad too much. Of course, the other thing that these teams that are able to accrue large quantities of top-class players... The other thing that helps them, and Southampton is a good example of this. Southampton are a good team who are struggling to score goals. Mm. So when a team like Manchester United takes on Southampton, they don't need to concern themselves too much with Southampton's ability to score against them. They are able to play on the front foot Mm. because, do you know what? They haven't really got the players that can hurt us offensively. So therefore, we can concentrate more on what we're doing at the top end of the field. And hopefully the defending will take care of itself. I'm not saying for one minute that you know Manchester United haven't sorted themselves out defensively this season and look a lot more robust in that regard. But there are, there are so many other factors now that build into this fact that the top teams are buying up all of the attacking talent. Not only does it help them score loads of goals, mm. it also means that the, the tri- trickle-down effect mm-hmm. of the talent to other teams isn't there. So they're less dangerous offensively and, and it, it, it weighs it even more heavily in the big team's favour. Just that, quickly that, oh, about Manchester City against mm. um, Crystal Palace. Yeah. Crystal Palace in the first half had better chances yes. than Manchester City did before yeah. they took the lead just before the break. Mm. They fell to Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Yes. Uh, he can be blamed for one of them, probably not the other. But also Crystal Palace up front with Ruben Loftus-Cheek have mm. Christian Benteke, who yeah. cost £30 million, roughly. Yes. I mean, he's now injured, clearly, so that's not going to help Crystal Palace. But mm. if a £30 million striker, regardless of where you're playing, gets chances like that and Crystal Palace aren't taking them... Yes then clearly that suggests, doesn't it, that there is a lack of quality, even at the £30 million stage. Mm. And I know there's a lot of, a lot of uh, what happens with a striker is about confidence and, and that the whole team's lack of confidence can affect a striker because he feels it's more down to him to, to, to try and arrest the slide. And that's very difficult. But there is clearly a, a, a level of ability yeah. which is too low and isn't, a, isn't affecting a team's ability to, to do better than what they are currently. Well, Christian Bentec, if you take the transfer fee out of it, he is, would you consider him the best of the rest? He's not, he played for Liverpool, didn't really work out. He's not a top four, top six centre forward, or he would be in one of those teams, wouldn't he? So clearly, is he kind of the best of the rest. If you look at the rest of the Premier League, you've got Jamie Vardy, who's, I think, scored more than anybody else outside of the, the top six, hasn't he? So th- that's what's going to happen is those players, if they're not playing in the top four, the top six, they're, they're going to filter down into those other clubs. And the, the problem is, is, isn't when they play the top six sides, their survival will depend on playing the rest of the teams around them. And it's just whether they can, Southampton can eke out those wins against teams like Leicester and Palace and make sure they stay in the league. Sadly, it looks like that's what the league is going to be all about for maybe 14 clubs because of the the lack of creativity, the lack of striking power. But there's a reason those players are playing at those clubs 
And we shouldn't, we shouldn't, they are still good players. Mm. Just because they're not playing for the top six doesn't mean they're awful. It just means they've found their level. And that level is very similar to, to maybe 13, 14 clubs around them. But the level is a, is a significant drop oh, absolutely, off, yes. I think is what yeah, we're saying. Yeah. From but that's why they're playing there, yeah. And that's the crucial thing is that the, that gap is now getting bigger and bigger and bigger on those different levels that we've talked about. So from the top six of the Premier League to the, to the rest of the 14 or from the top 10 of the Champions League to the rest of the 22 or whatever. Did we play this game before? I can't remember. We've done so many episodes. Did we play the game, or did I play it on with some other, with, with another group of friends? I have a, a one of us. I have one podcast. Careful, careful. You're treading down here. No, no, I don't, not another po- on another podcast. Oh. I have one other group of friends. That's that's all. Really? Yeah. Oh, I'm, we, I'm very not the only. Yeah, fill us in. Fill us in. Come on then. Yes, come on. What game were you playing? When, when the baby comes, Can, then you'll find out who your real friends yeah, are. Yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> None of you. The the game was. Can you name? A team, and let's not do it now. Maybe we should throw it open to our to our loyal audience of listeners. Uh, can you name a team playing for teams in the bottom? Let's exclude Everton. Mm-hmm. And so the bottom twelve of the Premier, thirteen of the Premier League, bottom thirteen of the Premier League, who would qualify for the Champions League? So it's put together a team of players, a composite team from all outside. the teams from from outside the established. What we mean when we say the top seven, yeah. we all we all know, even though Newcastle or wherever yeah. or Huddersfield or wherever, we all know who the top seven are. The thirteen teams who are not in that top seven, can you name a team comprised of players drawn from all of those clubs? A a, a an eighth to twentieth Premier League select. Exactly for the Champions League. Put a team together that could maybe give Man City a game. Fine. Yeah. And I, I think you, you probably just can, but only really does a Leicester. That's a, that's a good, that's good. That well, is good, Rory. So I like that. At Setpiece Menu on Twitter Brilliant. or email us setpiecemenu at gmail.com. A, just an 11. Don't yep. worry about squads. Just yep. an 11. Maybe with a manager. With a manager yep. to play against Manchester City or mm. compete in the Champions League. Either way, the, the, the level's yeah, similar. Has the ability similar. to qualify well, let's, keep it, let's keep it within the Premier League because City are flying, aren't it's they? It's so parochial, Chinch. No, not at all. Broaden your horizons, man. These, these lads clearly aren't going to be able to play in the Champions League, are they? So let's just let's just keep it sensible. But there, there are decent players out there. And as, as, I say, le- as I say, Leicester very much kind of... Who's your favourite player outside of the Well, that's another great six. question. Who is your favourite? Have you got someone that you, the top seven. you really like to watch playing? Cause you... Do you know I really, I, I really like Shane Long. Um, I don't know why. I just really like Shane <laughs> Long. Because he runs hard. <laughs> yeah. I think Shane Long... Don't get me started on Shane Long. But I, genu- well, I, I genuinely think... I get started on Shane Long because it's a very relevant conversation topic relating to our discussion. I think I, I genuinely think Shane Long probably is the sort of player who could have done really, really well at a top six club if he'd been given the chance. And I know there'll be lots of people who will laugh at that point of view. But I, I think Shane Long is very, 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 very industrious, like an Irish dirt count. But he's technically very good. <laughs> he is technically very good, Shane Long. And do you think Shay Long will be punching the air when he <laughs> hears this? I'm, I'm wondering where the faint praise <laughs> in here is that he's going to be damned most by. Shay, Shane's thinking, oh, God, I'm going to have to move to Istanbul at some point. <laughs> the, imagine, but when he's 36 and playing for Feyenoord, they'll love him. The, no, I, just, I think Shane Long's a really good player. Who, who is my favourite player? I mean, Mares maybe, but mm. not really since, the last, since two years ago. Mario Lamina at Southampton is the one in the early stages. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. He's a quality player d- d- Just to give uh, so Damien Delaney. So that we don't spend the rest of our uh, day just kind of looking into the middle distance and thinking whimsically about players. Let's just focus on that Shane Long part mm. because if we're talking about strikers who are as good as the sum of the parts that 
are behind them. You're saying that Shane Long is better potentially than the sum of those parts behind him, so he would succeed more at a better club. You've got Southampton who have scored four goals, I think, so far this season in their six games. Mm. Only two from open play. Only two from yeah. open play. They spent 17, 80 million pounds on Manolo Gabbiadini. Um, in January to try and score more goals. He had a run and then hasn't really since. And has never been a prolific goal scorer. And, and never, even, I do even remember for Napoli yeah. and didn't actually play that much. And now he hasn't been starting because Shane Long has. Southampton, one of those teams, as Steve mentioned earlier, they're good up until that point. 10 out of the 11, you'd say, yeah, I wouldn't change very much about that. But then the 11th player seems at the moment to be a crucial difference between them doing very well, as they did for three years in a row under Pochettino and Koeman, and being as they were under Claude Puel, they finished eighth, but it wasn't good enough for him to keep his job. And they're not necessarily continuing in a very different manner under Maurizio Pellegrino. So Southampton are a team that aren't scoring very many goals. They've got a player like Manolo Gabbiadini. They've got a player like Shane Long. If they had a better player, regardless of whether Shane Long would work elsewhere, if they had a better player, would that transpose their fortunes so significantly that they would be a top six team? Because the rest of their team is, is pretty good. Well, I, w- I will bow to, to Chinch's wisdom on this. My view would be that, as we I think we have definitely discussed, in fact, on the, in the most important position yeah. podcast, I think creating chances is harder than taking them. So I, I would say that Southampton's problem is not just Gabbiadini is a poacher that's what that's why Sarri wanted rid of him because he didn't really get the fact that he had to do all the stuff in that system he just wanted to stand around and straw goals the bum and <laughs> the it sounds a bit like you at five, on five side on a five very side much picture. like me on a five side so after 25 minutes when I'm knackered and my lungs have given out the um the and Long is not prolific I, of all the many things I like about Shane Long his goal scoring record is not yes, one of them he does not take chances that he should yeah I think that's fair to say the so I would say to, to me, the problem is that you, you maybe do have an element of, of Southampton don't have an absolute world-class goal storage. They can't afford to get one and one wouldn't go anyway, well, unless they got one on the way up. Even with Pella, he was good well, enough to score 15 to 20 goals a season and it helped. Streaky though, wasn't he, Pella? But, but so but handsome. It, but it was enough. And yes, <laughs> he was, so handsome. He still is handsome. Don't head the ball, you're too beautiful. <laughs> But, no, oh, the, but, uh, but he did, and he still remains so. But the, the, so the, what I'd say to you with, with Southampton is if you take Gabbiadini and Lana as, as perfectly good, serviceable strikers, not world-class, but not bad, who's, who's creating the chances for... Yeah, it for, is all about... You'd have to look at chances, because that would be the really interesting thing, is to see... And also and the quality at, of the chance. And look at Newcastle, who Newcastle have signed. They signed Hosselu from Stoke, who couldn't get into the Stoke team. They they couldn't get anybody else to come and sign for them. A top top striker, what top top won't sign for? <laughs> Hang on, top 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 won't sign for Newcastle. So you're having to kind of say, well, what is available? But again, he's had the point. but he's had chances available. against Stoke. He had three good chances to score, didn't take any of them. Against Brighton, chances to score, didn't take them. So they're coming along the chances, but he's there's a reason why not being awful. He's playing for Newcastle and not playing for a top four mm. side is because he doesn't take them when they come along. So for Newcastle, it's great they are creating them. It's the the old cliche, isn't it? It's better to create them and miss them but it is a worry when you don't put them in the back of the net because that's going to keep you up and the next extension to this is the way that it's driving up the prices which is going to make it even harder for those teams outside the established elite to to compensate for these these problems that they've got because this was something a few years ago we accused Manchester City of driving up wages by stockpiling players and then struggling to to sell them on because of 
their wages and they were they were obviously having to to supplement towards players like Adebayor when when he moved on because of that they were paying above the market rate to sign those players the the more and more of the quality in terms of attacking players that are in the smaller concentration of clubs the more that is inflating the, the, the price that other teams need to play to be able to dip into that pool of talent yeah. because those teams can afford they've got deep enough pockets as well as to be able to sign those players to retain their services in case of an emergency or to just move those players around amongst themselves Alvaro Morata is a good example of this conundrum because although he clearly is a wonderful striker and has done really well in the first few weeks of the season for Chelsea, his strike rate of a goal every three games or so during those spells with Juventus and Real Madrid did not suggest that he was a £60 million striker. But Real Madrid were only going to sell him on to somebody who was going to pay effectively above the market rate for his services. So it's going to be even more difficult for, for those teams who can only perhaps afford you know, 20, 25 million pounds on a striker, Hugh mentioned Christian Benteke earlier, to be able to prize one of those assets from an elite club. And they'll just all remain swimming in that, that one relatively small pool. So there is, there is, sorry, those two fixtures we've seen, or those two res, re, results over the weekend, with City beating Palace 5-0 and Chelsea going to Stoke and winning 4-0. Should, should we be worried by the ease with which this is? Is this a worry for the competition? Because we know the comp- it isn't a, a, a completely open league. It's not a level playing field. We know the cream is rising to the top. But those two results in particular and what City have done in the last few games, is that really a sign that we should be really worried about the competition within the league, that it really has, has gone now, that those signs are so strong, they have so much talent, that the rest of the league is really scrabbling to just stay in the league. And well, there's more teams than ever scrabbling to stay in the league now. So the- yeah, it's it, that's a really interesting subject because so I'm I've always been slightly I shouldn't say this to changes of sky but I I've always found the best lead in the world stuff most competitive lead in the most entertaining lead in the world stuff however they want to pitch it depending on what they think is most realistic none of it's true uh, the the because the most entertaining lead is the one that your team is in so it's not the most enter- entertaining lead to an Argentinian is the one that Boca Juniors and River Plate are in because that's the one they care about the most that's where the entertainment is. The, the most entertaining lead in the world to a Yeovil fan is the lead that Yeovil are in. Because that's what football's about. And this is something that only seems to happen in England, which is that we have to celebrate the success that we have by also pointing out the failures of others. So there's a, there is this real desire not to, 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 to find to pick holes in the Bundesliga and the quality of the Bundesliga, or to say that in Spain all the other 17 teams apart from Real, Barca and Atleti are terrible, or in Italy that Juve are just swatting aside Napoli, just who are Napoli? And you sort of think, well, they're the best footballing team in Europe, actually. Mm. So I, I'm not neutral in this debate. And I do think that, I do tend to find reasons to think, oh, the bubble's going to burst. I'm very much, oh, the bubble's going to burst sort of person. But I do think, I genuinely think that in in all those major leagues and in the Champions League, at some point, people will think this is a bit boring. If if it's the same three teams in Spain or the same two teams in Germany or the same six teams in, in England even, although it's not really six, just three of them are much better than the other three and have much more money. The... I do think that at some point fans of West Brom and Leicester and Palace and whoever else will think, well, what's the point? One of my best mates is a Bournemouth fan and he, he preferred it in the Championship. They, they won more games. That. Yes, about to say they that. won loads yeah. more yeah, games. A lot of people yeah. say that. It's more fun yeah. to watch. Yeah. So I do, I do think there is, there is cause for concern about it. Um, but it's important to point out that there is a, a stool of thought and it's, it's a sort of 
it's one that is fairly prevalent in France and Germany that people don't want to see competition. Fans, fans as a whole, do not want to see competition. It's not competition is not the only model. This, this English idea you've got to have competitive games every week is not the only way to win fans. The, Fans also want to watch excellence and they want to watch dynasties. So no one got bored of the Premier League when Man United won every year, despite the fact that Man United were probably yeah, smashing yeah, teams yeah. five and six most weeks. Maybe not six, but four or five most yeah, weeks. It wasn't, it wasn't quite the same, was it? It felt like it wasn't as regular an occurrence. Yeah. Maybe, I'm, maybe I'm just Possibly, looking at it yeah. through, you know, th- through the eyes of history. It's difficult to assess, isn't it? But you just sense it's happening so much more often now. that le- well, maybe It's so much more easier. It seems yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying easy. teams are yeah, lying yeah. down, but it just seems it's, it's like men against boys. Let, and let me ask you this question then. As a, as a former player for example this this stage of the season I, I remember way back to, to Roberto Mancini in the in the year that they won the league 2011-2012 uh, uh, under Pellegrini as well last year under Pep Guardiola they were winning at this stage of the season they seem to go September October they would go on a rampage and yeah. they'd win loads of games six seven sometimes a lot of fives and fours you you're kind of adding it up and taking averages and it's all very you know impressive statistically it doesn't then tend to happen as much towards the end of the season. Mm. And is that maybe a combination of both a team like Manchester City getting further closer towards a potential title and it being less kind of free-flowing and free-spirited, mm. but also the teams, when they have some, a little bit more to fight for, their, yes. their, their, yes. their desires have become crystallised because they might be fighting for a European spot or fighting against relegation. You don't get relegated in September. This is what exactly. Roy Hodgson said. It isn't so actually that important what if, happens now. If City play yeah. Crystal Palace yes. in April mm. and you're a Crystal Palace defender and you're 3-0 mm. down, mm. what was it, on the hour mark, roughly speaking, yeah. You're going to behave a little bit differently, are you? To if it's in the in end terms of, of how you how you finish the game or how you play. Yes, yeah, yeah absolutely, you are. Yes, because those yes. Crystal Palace defenders are thinking, oh, yeah, but it's all right. There's plenty. Of time. And that's, that's interesting to wait the actual stages of the season. But I, I, I just feel City the the way how they're playing, the goals that they're scoring, you kind of expect that to be happening with the players that they have. When that clicks, you'd feel they're going to not necessarily do that to everybody. Certainly not the top four sides, Tottenham or, or Liverpool. They might not be able to score five. Well, they did score five against <laughs> Liverpool, sorry, yeah. But against the rest of the league, they're capable of doing that. I tend to look at what, how the opposition are playing. Have they got the heart for it, the organisation? Can they defend properly? And that's what worried me most about Crystal Palace, was the way that they conceded those goals against City. They weren't, they weren't so fabulously brilliant in their construction that they were undefendable. They were defendable, they just didn't do it properly. But come March or April... When you really is on the line, then this is all about picking something up from this game. I guarantee you, they would probably do a lot more than they did in that game. They kind of accepted their fate mm. and thought, well, it's September. We can put this right by playing the rest of the league. We don't expect anything from this game, but we can maybe get something next week against Bournemouth. The test may well be West Brom at home. If City get, play West Brom at home, and after 50 minutes, an hour, it's 2 0, what happens? Do West, can West Brom, who are defensively well ordered, West Brom can defend. There's no question about that. West Brom can defend. Do they say, right, as teams do, and there's, there's, there's another the, the myths of English football that teams are always fighting until the end and trying to win, and, and in, the, in, in other leagues they don't. They just stop playing. They just stand there. But <laughs> the, Look at these Spaniards standing around. After you, Claude. The, um, exactly. Um, West Brom can defend. But, you know, in, in, at 2-0, 2-0 down at a big club, West Brom, they just say, the purest view is, right, we're not conceding any more goals. No yeah, yeah. We'll yeah. lose 2-0. We'll take that. You're better than us. That's fine. Shut the shop. Sh- shut up shop and get to 90 minutes. Be interesting to see if City... Does it, it's, what's intriguing with City is that they did... Although Liverpool collapsed against them, they also made Liverpool collapse. They kept on going. Mm. C- Palace collapsed against them. The, City are a brilliant team going forward. And when the movement 
is is purring, they are hard to stop. So if they if they can, and same with United, if United can put four past West Brom, then you know, then maybe then we, maybe we we, we really we, are in trouble. We have to say that there is something something is is changing. I have one question for Chinch as a former player: Is there something tactically that's different? Because We've definitely made the point before about a lot of the teams in the Premier League are not bit, traditionally big clubs, which I'm, I, I think allows them to play a more kind of reactive style. Not necessarily defensive, but they, you know, you, you, you see what's happening increasingly is the big six or seven teams are going on, a, on for away games and they're dominating possession. You get yeah. 60, 70% of possession away from home, mm-hmm. which is insane. Mm-hmm. That, that definitely never used to happen. Mm-hmm. I think part of that is because you know, if you're Swansea or Palace or whoever, you're not. You don't have the same pressure to to be on the ball as Leeds or Aston Villa. Your fa- your fans expect something different. Yeah, is that a factor that the there is kind of a tactical difference where more teams are happy to say to Man United and Man City and Arsenal and whoever else, you can have the ball. But yes, I think the problem comes if you're if, strangely if you have the ball against Man City and you can commit bodies forward trying to score you're in even more danger mm. of being caught on the counter-attack. So whichever way you try and work it, probably coaches look at it and say, well, percentages say if we defend in numbers, we've got a better chance of keeping City out. If we try and take the game to them and leave ourselves short defensively, they can catch us out far more easily. Mm. So that's why I think coaches maybe say, right, we'll sit behind the ball, even though we're at home, and just try and keep it. To-. That's what Palace tried to do. But then you're down to your individual defenders just simply staying with runners because that's what City are all about mm. it's about movement off the ball and creativity and that's why there's so many goal scorers in that team now as well players popping up scoring from different areas so that's why defenders have to be so aware so that's why yeah even like Huddersfield and Burnley they'll sit behind the ball so you can have it but we feel this is our best way and maybe we'll get two chances on the counter-attack mm. and try and pinch a 1-0 win that will be their approach if we take the game to you we could get beaten 5 or 6 because it's far too open and that, and then you'll just destroy us That which, which is a kind of nice moment to, to draw the two strands together of the fact that there is a polarising in the Premier League but there's also maybe a polarising in the Premier League because of the dearth of strikers. If you're only going to get one or two chances yeah. on the break, you need a good striker to be able to take those chances. So I'm going to make this point whilst sat at Rory's beautiful real wood dining room table it's sipping filter coffee. and second hand. It's still real wood. It's, lovely. it's, it's definitely real wood. Don't worry about that. It's a beautiful that. table. While sipping filter coffee and eyeing up a, uh, a delicious-looking bag of extremely chocolatey caramels, but <laughs> what are we going to do to address, long, long road, address long road this down. wealth distribution? Because I mean, it's a society problem. It's a football problem. How are we going to do, how are we going to stop the clubs stockpiling all of the talent? They they tried something in Italy, of course, didn't they? Where they gradually phased out this um, shared ownership of players, which the big clubs were able to take advantage of by hedging their bets and maybe taking 55% ownership of a player who then spent most of their time playing elsewhere. And if that player did well, they either pulled them into their squad or were able to use their, their greater say in the matter to sell them on to another team at a profit. Is there any way... Of, of sorting this problem out and stopping Manchester City and Chelsea from buying up all the best young talent. Is there any way from stopping Manchester United being able to spend £80 million on a striker or have we just got to accept it? There's a, there's a, there might be a market mechanism that the, the we saw it a little bit this summer that clubs don't need those big transfer fees anymore, especially in England, because the 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 TV rights are so valuable that you know Liverpool can offer £70 million for Virgil van Dijk or, or alert Southampton the fact that yeah. they're willing to pay that and Southampton go nah we'll be alright and it, you know I'll be Leipzig trying to do the same with Naby Keita 
there might come a point where there's so much the clubs have so much money that they they start to think actually we're going to keep hold of this player does we want to achieve something as well other than that and i think that's a fairly hopeless case they will the, those players will go eventually they will all go eventually yeah. and it's only really the premier league clubs from their from their tv money that will be able yeah. to do that yeah. that won't in germany italy france spain well, will, all the you, mid-table clubs but then you have to remember to that the, in the same way the, the the main vault the main predators in the market are the premier league clubs and we saw this summer so even with monaco driving a, a very hard bargain with everybody and there, there, there were points this summer where Premier League clubs thought, you know what, that's too much money to pay. So that might help a little bit temporarily, might stave it off a bit. Other than that, I think someone's going to have to legislate for it. There's going to have to be some sort of, I don't know, they'll have either UEFA or FIFA will have to say, we're we're going to limit the number of players you can have in your squad. Someone will have to take homegrown quotas seriously, not, not to help the England national team, but simply to say... You have to bring through some of your own talent so that we can assure, ensure there is a spread of the rest of the talent. Salary limits, that sort of thing. There will have to. It, the only way to stop it is if somebody intervenes. There will have do to. The, be do the league want that? Do they want it no. to be more no, of a level playing field? They're not interested. No, because in as, as I say, this is the this is the, 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 the crux of it. That there is this thinking that as fans and under the current model of the Premier League kind of hype train we think that competition is good and this kind of everybody's trying until the last minute and anything can happen and, yeah. oh look a goal in the 87th minute only in the Premier League <laughs> uh, because obviously football elsewhere finishes after 72 <laughs> there is and a moratorium on all goals in the <laughs> 18 minute never see never see like goals barely ever see a goal in the second half in Holland uh, the yeah so but, but I think ultimately what they're realistically what what they're kind of collectively aware of, and more importantly, what the clubs are individually aware of, is that they them their fans, United fans, City fans, Liverpool fans, Chelsea fans, Arsenal fans, Spurs fans, they don't they might enjoy like a three two win or a you know they might appreciate the the sporting merits of a four all draw, but what they really want is their team to win six nil. And how do I phrase this delicately? I think that's probably true of newer fans than it is of older fans. Regardless of geography, I think that every, the tribalism, again, this is a subject we talk about all the time. I think tribal, the tribalism in its current guise encourages childishness, and what children want is their team to win 8 0. What adults want isn't necessarily their team to, want it, to win 8 0. I think adults want, adults have a, yeah. a, a more nuanced appreciation so, of So stuff. when you go, <clears throat> I know you're a very educated man, you're all educated, you're more football fans than I ever was. When you go and watch your team play, do you want a competitive game or do you want your team to smash the opposition outside? You it, don't want to know what's going to happen. That's yes, really? That's yeah. true. But also, it, Genuinely. it depends depends on your expectations. If you're a fan of a team who is winning 6-0 a lot, yeah. if you don't win 6-0, suddenly that's not as good as it should have been. So you win 3 or 4-0 and it's kind For, of, well... Oh, left a few goals out there, should have bashed them 8-10-0, all oh, that sort of thing. Okay. But if you're, a, if you're a fan of a team who very rarely or never wins 6-0... If they win 6-0, that is the greatest day and yes. you will celebrate it uh, long and true. But So it's, it's to do with the expectations and it's to do with the mm. one single overriding fact is that you don't know and you don't want to know what's going to happen. So you, you only, and it's a, it's a hard thing to, to kind of explain, but I think that if you win every week after a while, I think those victories start to mean less. And this, this is why we see... To me, anyway, there is a direct connection between that and this kind of short-termist, ultra-crisis, 606 culture where, you know, there's one draw and it's 
someone's running and saying, Ronald Truman has got to be killed yeah. immediately. <laughs> and Put him in the stocks. <laughs> the, Held him with tomatoes. That Jose Mourinho should be shot into space. <laughs> and, you know, withdrawn with Burnley. That's why this instant reaction yeah, it's, and it's, it's wrong, it's, isn't it? The, it's the way it is. is to do with, as Hugh says, it's to do with the expectation that if, you're, if you get used to winning regularly, your reaction to any setback at all is totally out of proportion. Okay. And also that you... You feel as though that, but yeah, you feel as though that becomes a natural order. So everything else is, is a, is, is kind of failure. And I think actually this is not to moralise, but I, you said, Chinchy said earlier, like should we be worried about it? And I think from the point of view of kind of the health of football culture, we probably should be. Yeah, I think that having more and more anger and outrage and kind of stroppiness, basically, these all strop people, people are very stroppy about football now is bad I think it makes it a much less pleasant experience mm. but again this is something we can put out to the listeners and they can they can tweet us at set piece menu or, or, or email any solutions because it, it, it is yeah. a difficult one to solve but you, you wonder whether it, it's, it's something that would need to be made put on the burden of responsibility would need to the fall to the clubs mm -hmm. that you can only have as many players as you can sensibly sensibly use you know there'd be a limit to the number of players you could loan out and there would be a limit to the number of players you could have in your squad mm. who weren't playing on a regular basis so it wouldn't be a financial penalty it would be a, a, a sporting sport it's not so much a sporting penalty but the, the sporting encouragement to use players in the right way that feels like a to be continued <laughs> dot 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 soon to be resolved no doubt completely by us and the listeners who we have challenged with two things on today's podcast first of all latterly fix football please let us know uh, and also we've set you a challenge the best 11 please the best composite 11 from the rest of the premier league he says with air quotes an eighth to 20th Premier League select that will be able to take on, for example, Manchester City. It's outside the traditional top seven. You know who they are. We shouldn't have to list them. Uh, so put together a best 11 that could take on uh, Manchester City and potentially, as we mentioned earlier as well, um, qualify for and compete in the Champions League. Let us know at setpiecemenu or setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Before we say goodbye... It's time for a soccer story. Never mind Jack and Ori. What a soccer story. This is when Andy tells us a tale from his playing days with all adult behaviour and libel-worthy details removed. A lot of Neville stories recently. Have we got another Neville no, story? No, no, this is... I've actually retired at this, but this was actually... It must have been You've about... retired two, Neville? Reti yeah. <laughs> this was about two years ago. It was very embarrassing. I was out in the fine city of Manchester... Uh, enjoying an evening socialising I know it's not you? like me crazy crazy <laughs> and I won't mention the name of the uh, the restaurant uh, well, it's the Alchemist so Bar and Grill <laughs> I was, was um, going to say it's a footballer it was probably San Carlo or Rosso or Rosso yeah no it's actually around the corner the Alchemist so we're in there enjoying an evening and this old couple come over to me and say they're big City fans and could I sign something for them and they said, oh, we're at the 5-1 in 89. Oh, what a great day, great day. So, so, yeah, no problem at all. So they get a bit of pay. I sign it, and the old couple say, cheers, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, sorry, but before you go, Dave? Yes, you're David White, aren't you? Uh, no. And I said, uh, no, no, I'm Andy Hinchcliffe. And they said, uh, are you sure? <laughs> Genuinely said, are you sure? And just for a split second... I was thinking, am I really? Am I? But if you, have you seen... I'm not being funny. Have you seen David White yeah. recently? Just, just this last few days. If David White was playing football now and came on as a substitute, he would be a double substitution. <laughs> He's an enormous man. Now, that's not being cruel. You are know you him well enough to be able to say that. I do, I do have contact with David White. We are good. We used to room together when we were at Manchester City. Wonderful, wonderful man. But he was a rake of a right winger, six foot three lean. Mm. But he has plumped 
Southall-esque, I'd say he is. So that's what I, I put, two old couple come over to me. Maybe their eyesight was failing. I don't know. They think I'm the wrong person. And then the person they think I am is a, is a giant haystack to the person. <laughs> How wrong can they be? Why well, remembering you from 1989? Jeez, I see David White last week. Are you sure? And I thought, wait a minute. Am I David White? No, I'm not David White. I'm definitely who I think I am. Yes. Yeah. Please refer to um, David White's new book if you would like to have yes. some similarly kind comments about Andy Hinchcliffe. Yes, but that was just so embarrassing. I don't get asked my autograph a lot, but I like to think when people ask for it, they know who I am. You, 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 ideally, but that's yeah, really interesting. Yeah. So that that actually is quite insulting to David White as well. It means that these two so? these two massive City fans have no idea what David <laughs> yes. White looked like. But they were quite old, so you know. But basically, they they remember the five one from nineteen eighty nine, but not the way that anybody who played in that game. <laughs> and looks. also, David White crossed the bloody ball. I scored. I was the I was the you know the important bit. I did the important bit. It's not the creativity. We don't care about who creates <laughs> oh, yes. goals. Do we, Rory? Our conversation is pretty bad. Yeah, forget that. <laughs> and uh, I am there. That's the thing. It was me, not him. Me. Always oh. wants credit, doesn't he? Always yeah. wants credit. Oh, man. We shall say goodbye by thanking everybody around the table. After we have asked you to subscribe, share, rate and review, as you have been doing excellently. Thank you very much indeed. We do also humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Thank you then uh, to Rory Smith, to Steve Wyeth and to David White and to you for listening. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back with another set piece many for you to enjoy very soon indeed. Who was the Sheffield Wednesday striker who kicked the ball really hard? David, David Hurst. Hurst. David right, Hurst. he was yeah. different. Oh, yeah. David, you two look a bit like yeah. David Hurst. I well. once had a night out socialising when I was a teenager mm. uh, with David Hurst. Did I won't, you? I won't tell you where or why because that might uh, give uh, too oh, many yes, clues away. Yes. But uh, David Hurst was there, and the, the friend of mine who was with us, and you'll know him because he's my best man at the wedding, Billy. Um, he spent, one of two best men. One of two it? best yeah. men. Yeah. He spent the entire. Uh, bearing in mind, you all know what Billy looks like. Yeah. Uh, he hasn't changed very much since he was about 19. Um, and he spent the entire evening singing the Oompa Loompa song <laughs> from Charlie and the Chocolate <laughs> Willy Wonka. Um, uh, what, to David White? No. David, to David Hurst? David Hurst sang that to Billy the whole <laughs> evening. He just kept on coming up to him going, Oompa Loompa. The thing with David Hurst, though, is you don't, you don't aggravate him. <laughs> I played with right? the England under-21s with him. And yeah, every, yeah that, it, it's shooting. Everything was like... Smashed, wasn't it? Yeah. Everything, if it was a two-yard pass, absolutely belted. <laughs> Did that was his way. Play with him for Wednesday. Uh, no, no, no. He'd, uh, he he was, that was before Matt. Yeah, he. St- I think he started. Was he a youngster at Sheffield Wednesday? Was that the beginning? Did of the Did he play for England a couple of times? Did he play? Yeah, for yeah. played England under twenty ones with him. Yeah. Um, but did he not spend his entire career at Wednesday? David Hurst. No, not no, quite. No. Although, do you remember there was a there was a competition? I don't. I think it was just after David Hurst. There was a competition. I think on uh, on Sky. It might have been on Soccer AM where they had a speed gun on people kicking the ball to try and find out the, the you know the strongest right thigh yes. of the Premier League and can you remember who won it? No. It was Nicky Summerby. Really? Oh, is that right? Yeah. And he kicked it at like 84 miles an hour or something like that. You, you, you see these he's right, he's right footed. So he's right footed. <laughs> how, how fast do you reckon you could have? The strongest left foot or the hardest left foot I've ever seen is Kevin Pressman, the Sheffield Wednesday mm. goalkeeper. What do we call it? A jackhammer. No, it's you'd, you'd neither have a thunderbolt of a left foot or a wand. Ten, technically, a left foot is <laughs> yeah, always a Kevin wand. Kevin Sheedy had a wand. Yeah, you had, you had oh, a yes. Kevin Preston had, had a wand. Had the wound wand. Thunderous left yeah. foot. Change had a succession of handkerchiefs pulled out of a pocket. You'll notice that these are, yeah, these are now. Cool. These are now. Oh, we've we've really stopped. Yeah. Crack on. Crack on.